Hi, and welcome to Make Me a Medic. We are a group of high school students from the UK who are desperate to be doctors. Join us on our journey to medicine. This week's episode is a history episode, and we'll be discussing Galen. We'll cover who he was, his journey through medicine, and the impact he had towards modern medicine. So, who was Galen? So, um, Galen had great expertise in autonomy, surgery, pharmacology, and therapeutic methods. He is famous for bringing philosophy into medicine. Even though most of his philosophical works have been lost, we still know more about him than any other ancient scientist because of the sheer abundance of his medical writing. Today, some of his practices promoted by Galen are still recognized as useful, but some are regarded as dangerous. Okay, so Galen was born in the year 129 AD in the wealthy Greek city of Pergamon in the Eastern Roman Empire. And just so you know, today, Pergamon is in Turkey. Also, just so you're aware, sometimes people use the names Galen of Pergamon or Claudius Galen to identify him. So continuing with his history, Galen's father, who was named Nikon, was a very prosperous architect and mathematician. So he saw that his son was educated to a high standard in the classic Greek fields of geometry, philosophy, logic and literature. He also taught his son not to mindlessly follow any one school of thought, but to think for himself and to judge every issue on its individual merits. So when Galen reached 16 years old, something remarkable happened. His father had a dream in which the Greek god of medicine, Asclepius, that might be horribly pronounced, probably is definitely pronounced wrong, but we're going to go with that, um, told him that Galen must uh, divert his efforts to medicine and healing. And Nikon was not one to dispute the gods. So Galen immediately dropped out of his logic and philosophy classes in favour of medicine. Um, although Galen believed that Asclepius came to his aid, he also came to believe that there was only one god, which then later made Christian and Muslim worlds much more receptive to his work. Galen trained at a local hospital for around four years under a well-known physician called Satyrus. Then his father died and left Galen a large amount of money. Galen, who was almost 20 years old, decided to travel around the Mediterranean, learning the latest techniques in medicine and healing. He ended his travels in the great city of Alexandria's medical school, where he studied for about five years. Galen disliked almost every aspect of life in Alexandria, except for what he could learn there. He returned to Pergamon aged 28 or 29. Galen's medical doctrine dominated the Western world and Arab world for close to 1,500 years. He was a Greek who became the Roman Empire's greatest physician, authoring more books still in existence than any other ancient Greek. About 20,000 pages of his work survives. He was a personal physician to Rome's emperors for decades. He consulted to the work of previous Greek medical researchers, adding the results of his own research to create an incredibly long-lasting medical doctrine. So um, how did he make an impact in Rome? So in the year 162, aged 33, Gillen arrived in Rome. He did not stay permanently here because his medicinal teachings um, contradicted the methods of Rome's established physicians, who deeply resented him. Um, Galen described them as unscrupulous thieves, more invested in money than healing and truth, and fearing for his life. Um, in around about the year 166, uh, Galen fled Rome for Pergamon until uh, the storm had died down. 
Uh, throughout his life, uh, Galen endured nothing more than a good rant at anyone who practiced medicine in ways he disagreed with, and these rants became a feature of his written work. Although he fled from Rome, he left a positive impression with the city's most powerful men. In 169 AD, the Roman emperor Marcus Aurelius summoned the 40-year-old Galen back from Pergamon to become his personal physician, taking him north to where Rome was warring with the Germanic tribes. Emperor Marcus Aurelius described Galen as first among doctors and unique among philosophers. A year later, Galen returned to Rome, becoming physician to Marcus Aurelius' son, Commodus, who became emperor in 180 AD. Galen acted as Commodus' physician all the way through his reign, which ended with his murder in 192 AD. During Commodus' reign, Galen did a great deal of writing, presumably trying to stay out of Commodus' reach as much as possible when he wasn't actually treating him. But Galen obviously impressed Rome's political elite because when Septimius Severus became emperor in 193 AD, after a period of political turmoil, the 64-year-old Galen continued as personal physician to the new emperor. So, in his books, Galen actually mentioned earlier physicians by name and it actually helped preserve their names in history because it is actually through Galen that we learn about the discoveries some of these earlier scientists made. But why is this important? Well, he took the earlier work and compared it with his own experiments and practical findings if he could confirm their work, he would use it. Otherwise, he, did, he would criticise it, say why it was wrong. He had an absolute belief in the power of experiment and observation. He did not believe in merely following what books had told him. He needed to verify the truth for himself. Galen was so influential that his methods came to be known by the word Galenism. He put forward the theory that illness was caused by an imbalance of the four humours, blood, phlegm, black bile and yellow bile. To come close to describing Galenism completely, um, we'd require a really long book. So rather than that, here are a few points about Galenic medicine. Please remember, um, some aspects of Galenism were not actually discovered by Galen himself. He credited other scientists too. So, some of his scientific successes include the removal of cataracts from patients' eyes, proof that urine forms in the kidneys, not the bladder, discovery that arteries carry liquid blood rather than as previously thought gaseous air, identification of seven out of the 12 cranial nerves, such as the optic nerve and acoustic nerve, identification of two types of blood, bright red and dark red, and finally the discovery that the heart has four valves and they allow blood to flow in only one direction. He also had some successes regarding diagnosis that are actually still used today or that actually influenced how we manage diagnosis. So the first one is the diagnosis of disease by careful attention to the patient's pulse. Another one is the diagnosis of disease by careful attention to the patient's urine. And finally, diagnosis of physical symptoms caused by psychological disturbances. So, you know, despite his huge success, it is important to note that he did have some failures. And these were mainly due to lack of research and evidence that were limited for his time. Um, and also lack of technology and in general experimental study methods were not clinical based you know trials like we see today so um his main kind of mistakes were a belief that diseases were caused by bad air from rotting animal and plant matter and this actually interestingly links to a later theory that became prevalent in like the 17th 18th century which was miasmic theory which was a belief that you know infectious diseases were transmitted through infected air essentially just through the air that was one of the main kind of theories um, so he was a lot better 
it was him in that and that he didn't just believe in imbalances by humours. He also had this theory which is more advanced than the majority of physicians at the time. However, he also believed that dark blood in the veins is manufactured by the liver to be consumed by the body's food. Um, he also believed that uh, the brightly coloured arterial blood is made by the heart to deliver vital spirits to the body. He also believed in the routine use of bloodletting as a therapy and he had a belief belief that arteries are linked to veins by fine blood vessels through which blood and air pass, which I mean I guess is kind of like capillaries, not quite, but similar enough. That wasn't that wrong. Um, and he also believed the microscopic ports, pores sorry, in the heart's uh, septum connected to the left and right sides of that organ. Again, you know, that's not super incorrect. Not correct. So basically he had a lot of incorrect theories, but they weren't you know, outrageously wrong. It was still more sound than a lot of the other popular theories at the time. Um, but however, it's important to note he wasn't, you know, some miracle god who somehow knew all of medicine, even, you know, this early on um, in the journey of science and me- medicine as a profession. A key thing to note was that Rome banned human dissection, meaning that a lot of his anatomical dissection was inaccurate. However, since he was so well renowned, it took centuries before anybody questioned his teachings. So despite his mistakes, he is still regarded as the one of the Earth's most renowned physicians. And he was ahead of his time with many of his surgical procedures not being performed on human till years after his death. We hope you enjoyed this episode and learned about Galen and his contributions to modern medicine. For this week, we want you to discuss this question. Does AI pose a threat to privacy and confidentiality, informed consent and patient autonomy? Tell us your thoughts on our Instagram page for a shout out in next week's episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Make Me a Medic Podcast and share us with other expiring medics. Join us next week for another exciting episode.